Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico from the Mini China Podcast, SourceFind Asia Manufacturing Consulting Company, and the SourceFind Asia YouTube channel. I'm currently standing outside Jinstar, which is like a little uh, Western-style restaurant slash bar. Just came from playing soccer <laughs> and recording this intro. I should have recorded this much earlier today, but I completely forgot. I was recording three hours of YouTube videos and. Podcast stuff, and I, I forgot to record the intro for this. Anyways, this is one of the one of the podcasts that we recorded, I think, in the summer of 2017. Me and Noam Lightstone, he's a friend of the podcast. He's been on quite a bit of quite a few times. Um, had a very very interesting conversation. It's a two hour podcast where we would just kind of this was like a you know Joe Rogan esque、uh, where it's like yeah we're just shooting the shit. He's one of my best friends and you know, we sat down and we had a nice little conversation about business and life and things like that. And I think、um, really the main the main topic that we talked about was growing pains of a business, like how when you are. Growing your your business and it's and it's、uh, you feel like you've gotten to a certain stage, and you feel like you've systemized a lot, and then all of a sudden you know you start to have a lot of issues and then you have to systemize further. It's one of those things where you sometimes feel like it's two steps forward, one step backwards, and we just kind of were you know having a conversation about that, and also one interesting thing that I found when I was listening to this again. Is at the time I had just promoted Imogen, my project manager, and if you guys are following the podcast, they're following the YouTube channel.、Um, she had just graduated from college at the time, and、uh, yeah, it was just interesting to hear me talking about the things that I wanted her to do, <laughs> like the things that I was aiming for her to,、uh, you know, to take over, sort of like managing the staff and, you know, getting her to. I, I was talking about. Applications that we were using or beginning to use at the time, like Zoho Expense, and you know, like all these other apps that now are just commonplace in my business. Like it's just we use Zoho Expense, like it's nothing. But it was just interesting to kind of have that, you know, that、uh, replay of where we were, the snapshot of where we were in 2017, and then to see how these things, these systems that you implement, become commonplace in your business. All right, so with, that's enough rambling from me.、Um, without further ado, enjoy the podcast. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So now it sounds pretty good now. I said I feel like that this day is trying to be a China day. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm dude. I'm trying to like, fight. I'm trying to fight against it. Your your first message, I could tell. There's like, I don't know. It was like I could tell you rushed. I'm like, oh man, Rico's having one of his busy days. One of those days. You know what, man? It, it wasn't even supposed to be like that. It's just. Okay, so let me tell you what's going on right now. So we hired one more person,、um, and then the Italian guy is coming in next week. But our office isn't big enough to fit the people, so it's like I'm like working 
public space and then today we were we had our quarterly meeting last week one of the main things we're doing is we're switching over to zoho expense mm-hmm. you know i use zoho invoice so i told you i said slowly zoho is going to take over my business but <laughs> i just i i was like having trouble keeping up with project expenses because we have so many different projects that little micro expenses like $5 a year to there it adds up right when you have 20 projects or 15 projects and then you spend like $10 each like I would invoice clients but I'll be invoicing them like three weeks late it was just I was just like yeah this needs to be systemized so we're switching over to global expense and so we were training all the staff today and around that time when you were messaging me I was like getting ready to go to the gym and my plan was like let me talk to my cello set up the uh, you know the blog stuff and then i'm gonna go to the gym <laughs> and uh yeah that just didn't happen i spent an hour fixing everybody's zoho expense they had to get on customer service and stuff like that and really it was just small mistakes um like really it was just small mistakes that uh, like somebody, like you know, people registered with like the wrong email address. <sighs> yeah. For the uh, for the expense stuff, I think you do some cash things as well. Um, but when I was starting to do tax stuff, I actually shot Sean Ogle an email and asked him what he does. Basically, what he does is he charges all his expenses to one single business credit card, and then he uses something like Wave or QuickBooks to extract all the charges from the credit card, and then that gets sent to uh, bookkeeping. So I don't know like how you do your charges and stuff, but if you're just charging to one credit card, then that's like a good way to do it. That's what I plan it's to a, do. It's, a, it's impossible, because like, that's, that's, that's when you're in a situation where all of your expenses are, you know, visa, like I can't pay for Chinese shit. It's yeah, very that's very that's the thing. It's a, it's different for you because all my expenses are just like the contractors get paid like through Wave and Stripe and stuff, and then all the fixed expenses are it's just like monthly recurring. So it's really yeah. straightforward. Yeah, I mean, but I'm talking about like okay, so even for you, let's say you had deliveries coming in because this is a regular thing. Receiving samples, probably you receive two or probably between four to five samples every week sometimes more and then we also send out packages and those payments are like two to three two to like six dollars micro payments mm-hmm. um, and together I have to pay cash or we pay through WeChat and if WeChat goes through my, my bank card but at the same time it's like I don't want to be the sole person because there's so many there's so many transactions in day I don't want to be the sole person who's responsible for paying for every single expense. So I gave my team an expense budget, a weekly budget, right? So then that is on a different, it's on a different account from my bank, you know, or yeah. my, my, my card. So it's like there's, there's, we're paying for, and then, yeah, there's just general stuff. Like if somebody travels um, and then they have to take a car, buy a train ticket or whatever, they might use their their bank card or they might pay for WeChat and then they get reimbursed through the company. So like there's all these different ways that they pay for shit. But of course, like 
things like the, the VPN, Google for Work, Zapier, uh, what else? Yeah, all these apps, Zoho, and all that stuff. It's like that's all done through one credit card. Yeah, I guess for me, it's like because I'm also, well like kind of smaller scale so it's like I can do the auto reading stuff and then it's like if I have a, a cash sort of thing I just scan it in using shoebox and then shoebox OCRs it and then like every month or like every year I'll just go through all that shit and then and then and then we have another thing is like I pay so we have our business bank account it's the Hong Kong account I have a Chinese I have two Chinese accounts but I use one for I have my Visa cards, which are foreign cards, and then there's just like WeChat Pay, which is like a WeChat wallet, like an online wallet. So it's like we're paying through multiple channels. Like even HSBC, that's normally the larger transfers when I pay rent, um, when I pay suppliers and things like that. Um, it's done through, through the Hong Kong bank account. Mm. And then like salaries are paid through my Chinese account. But yeah, there's just there's so many different payments um, that and they change, they fluctuate because we have bonuses and even though we have recurring salaries every month is different because some people get bonuses based on projects and stuff like that. So it's just, it, it becomes, I don't mind that part, That that's easy for me to track. It was more so the little micro payments for like sample shipments and then we buy samples from factories and stuff like that and then trying to get those payments back from our clients, you know, that's, that's, that, was, that was the thing that was uh, becoming a bit much for me. Yeah, well, it's funny. I was going to say this episode to talk about, like, what to do when you have more time in your business because you systemize things. And then I recorded my own video on this, and there's, like, three options. It's, like, you sit, you have to systemize more because there's still more stuff to do. Or, you know, you sit and you do nothing, or you start a new business. But, yeah, it's usually, like, there's always more systems to build. Well, it's like what I was talking to you about last time was just, uh, it's like you build systems and then the company scales and then you get to a stage where the systems that you built are not enough. So, for me right now, what I noticed is, like, in terms of project management, that's something that I really focused on, building out systems for, for the past year. So... You know, project management, and then I've hired a project manager as well, which is she's slowly but surely getting better at her job. But yeah, there's other things, payments, the micropayments. Zoho invoice is fantastic, and it works. It's changed the way I invoice people. It's much faster. I get payments much faster, more convenient for clients, all that stuff. But, you know, the micropayments is still an issue. And then and the other yeah, the other thing is, again, it's, it's a problem with scaling. Before, when we had five projects, I didn't have issues tracking the expense. Mm. But now, when we have like 10, 15 projects, it's like, you know, expenses that I spent money on a month ago, I still have all these clients on just because, you know, the, we had a very rudimentary way of tracking like that they were uploading the receipts to Google Drive. And then I would have to, if I wanted to invoice a client, I'd have to go in and check uh, the spreadsheet that they'd uploaded. So the, the cool thing now is that it's all expense. They're just going to be plugging in as they as they spend money on expenses. They're going to be plugging in the expenses. Get, it gets made into an automatic report, which gets sent to my project manager. I gave her a budget. I said anything below $100, she has authority to approve. Anything above that, I, I need to look at it. 
And then, you know, that automatically gets plugged into Zoho Invoice, and then I can invoice clients. I don't, like, I just basically have to create an invoice, which takes me one minute to do. So, I think that's a, it's a game changer, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, it's just all, uh, all more systems. Also, and then long, long term, I won't be invoicing the clients. Right. You know, ideally, ideally the, the project manager will be invoicing. Yeah. Project, project related expenses. I know, and that's the thing I'm thinking. I'm like, because I had all these plans of like possibly hiring a sales rep and a project manager. And I think like a month ago when I didn't have my base camp going, I was just like over, there's too much going on. But now that that's set up, it might even be like just work for work's sake. I might not even need it. I don't know. We'll see. It depends how much I scale the, the consultancy and where I want to stop. Um, but yeah, you know what's also funny is uh, I was talking to my friends about this. I'm happy I have this long-term visa here in Chiang Mai, but I'm starting to feel like I'm outgrowing the city. I feel like probably in six months. You got, you got influenced by me and Maurice, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because uh, I guess the other thing was going back to Saigon and living a bit far removed from the center. It was a much different experience. I still feel like Vietnam, like Vietnam compared to Thailand is much worse in terms of infrastructure, but there's other things I like better. But uh, I think I might use this visa because I'm allowed to like, you know, move around and maybe go live in Bangkok for a month and see how it is. But uh, I don't know, maybe I'll end up back in Saigon. I'll end up like where I started. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see. But uh, yeah, I mean, funny how it comes full circle. Man, yeah. like big cities, there's just, there's an energy there. Dude, no, I, I agree, but like I'm I'm really grateful for what Chiang Mai is giving me and like right now I'm I'm about saving that money. Um so I'm gonna stick with that. But of course it's like a toss up, right? Because you can argue that if you're in a certain place you save money, but if you're in a bigger city you might feel like more energy to, you know, make more money, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like if I move to Hong Kong next month or whatever like if I ever if I moved on it would force me to start to make more money because I wouldn't be as comfortable as I am in Guangzhou even if I moved to Shenzhen I think it would be the same effect because like right now I have a very good situation with my landlord where I've been living in the same apartment for you know over two years and you know in the past like I had situations where I paid rent like a month a month and a half later and it was fine you know um, I don't have those kind of issues now, but like, yeah, I mean that happened. So I mean, if I ever fell on hard times, I guess it's like they would, they would, they would be a little bit more flexible with me. Mm-hmm. Or it was just cool, like, cause, cause, like I talked about in the in the past, like, you know, being a startup, like cash, cash flow is, is so big that, yeah, I had situations where I knew I was gonna get a payment, let's say on the fifth, but I needed to pay my employees and my office rent first, so I paid the office rent and. Employees, and then I, I told my landlord that I'll, or I, told, I told the management of my apartment that I'll pay them, you know, a week late or whatever. And they're like, yeah, it's fine, no problem. You know, so that's that's been pretty cool. That's what you get when you're in that in one space, one comfort zone, and the cost of living isn't that high. So yeah, I mean, there is that aspect of getting comfortable and the stability that that provides, but. Then when you challenge yourself, maybe that forces you to take things to the next level. Yeah, I guess the other thing is like I'm enjoying not feeling like I'm freaking stressed out like crazy like I have been the past two years, like just trying to get things working. But uh, I know it's like, again, I have no problems kind of treating the, the visa as a sunk cost. So it's like if I'm at a point where business is doing well and I feel like I've grown the city, I'll just 
I'll be like, okay, too bad. I'll just leave. I don't care about that. Um, and the thing is, you can always go back, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I mean, I couldn't go back on the same visa. I would have to, like, you know, get a new one or whatever. But, yeah. But the thing is, I can... What I can do with this is, because I can take uh, what's called a visa exemption, I can leave for, like, two months at a time. So it's like I could uh, keep that visa, go to, like, a big city for two months and come back and do that for this year. Then, you know, go back to Canada and then starting that year, move to a big city, like, permanently, you know. So much freedom, so many options. So I'm just going to play it by ear and see how it is. But it all depends on how business goes because like if I start making tons of money way faster then it's going to be a different option compared to the other stuff yep yeah I guess let's, let's jump into the, the main topic I want to talk about that and I want to talk about um, just an interesting conversation that I had with the girl that I just promoted to project manager today okay cool yeah so main thing is like as you systemize your business They'll have more and more free time. And what I'm finding right now is at this certain stage, I've systemized the business. Like I still I can't just sit around. I have to still like, you know, get clients and hustle and all that. I have to take care of my projects. Um, and I don't want to be complacent. And I also know that there are still things I want to systemize. Like I still have to manually pitch um, to get new clients. So I'm working on just, you know, getting you know, re recurring packages with current clients or, or cross-selling them on something. But it's like, for the first time in a while, I have a lot more breathing room and free time. So I've been able to, you know, sleep in if I need to, but I still get my work done. I'm much more relaxed. And it's a very weird feeling um, because, you know, there's like, uh, I don't know what it's called, but your brain tries to get what it's always gotten. So it's like if you're used to feeling a certain way, then your brain will self-sabotage you almost so you get that. So even my brain is trying to stress me out, even when there's basically very little stress right now. Like I could be in a very um, de-stressed time in my uh, in my business, but it's just interesting when you systemize the business and you have more free time. It's kind of like it's like what what do I do now? What's what's there to do? Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know I, I agree. I agree with that. There's there's a certain level of guilt and. What I, what I was saying to you, the thing about us is that we focused on systemizing from the first day that we started our businesses. So I think right now what's happened is that we're kind of ahead of the game a little bit. I think most people, they don't really focus on systemizing when they start companies. Uh, maybe, yeah, I think older businesses, I think we're like the four workweek generation now. So, like, it's a, that's just been something that we've thought about from the first time we started a company. So, like, at this stage when we made a little bit more money and then we have systems in place and you have, you're not the one doing the majority of the grunt work in your business, we're kind of ahead. But I feel like, you know, you feel like, okay, we're systemized now. Then you scale more and then that brings more problems and then you have to systemize again. Yeah. And I think that's basically what's going to happen is that you get ahead then you're going to get behind and you're going to get ahead again, then you'd be like, okay for a bit, you know? Yeah, well, that's one thing I'm always just, <laughs> it's hard not to be worried. I'm like, oh, wait, things are working, but what if shit fucks up? Or it's like, what if something goes wrong, right? Because there's basically yeah, I, three options. It's like you systemize and scale more. You, uh, you don't do anything. You just chill. Or you keep your business as it is and, like, start something else. 
yeah, that's the thing. It's like if you if you get to a certain level where you're like, okay, you know what, I'm okay with making, I'm okay with my company making, you know, two hundred thousand dollars a year, and this is it. Like I don't really need to make you get new clients, whatever. It's all systemized, and hey, you can just keep it automation, and, and then you don't have any, you don't have any reasons to really systemize more. But if you're constantly trying to scale, which is what I'm doing, that that brings new new challenges eventually. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, I mean the interesting thing is, I think we talked about this before, but like okay, I'll give you an example. I I had to go to Hong Kong on Monday, um, so over the weekend I didn't really check my email, and Monday I didn't check my email. I got to office on Tuesday morning. I opened my emails. I had twenty eight emails. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck, 28 emails over the course of like three days? Jesus Christ. But then when I started actually going through the emails, I really only had to respond to like two. Mm-hmm. Everything else was clients talking to my staff and my staff already responding and handling the situations. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I was like, this is kind of crazy. Like that's never happened to me before where I came back and I had that many emails and I didn't spend two hours going through all the emails and catching up with stuff. So that was that was a cool like aha moment for me where I was like, oh, we're at that stage where, you know, if I don't check my emails, I come back and it's like nothing happened. Like the mm-hmm. only thing that didn't necessarily get pushed forward as quickly as possible was an inquiry. But that's my that's my area. That's the area that I own is, is sales. Yeah. So I, I completely understand that. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that was that was a nice little like aha moment, and a big part of that is obviously the systems that I have in place, and you know having another big part is having had the same employees for a while now, and then the third thing is the fact that I promoted one of my employees to project manager, so like she knew, well she's now taking that role that I had before, where it's like if people don't know what to do to push their projects forward, she's the one, you know, talking to them about what to do and then we had a new hire actually like it was the first day of Monday and I wasn't there and yeah my project manager sat down with her set her up with the apps that we use uh, gave her our SOD standard operating doc standard operating doc uh, educated her on the projects she started going through all the SOPs so when I came in on Tuesday she was already like she already had a better understanding of how our company works and then I just had to get, come in and you know, do a little finesse job and add her to a few accounts that my project manager doesn't have um, admin privileges to. Uh, But even that, that's like, that already said, okay, so I need to teach my project manager a little bit more about the onboarding process. Mm -hmm. And that's just like, again, it's like new problems, right? Like, you're like, oh, okay, this works, but something else is missing. And it it really wasn't that, like, it used to take me like, five to six hours to onboard a new employee. It took me thir- it took me an hour to onboard this person. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh man, this is this is awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is this is just really good. Like things are moving forward. Yeah. I mean that's the thing. It's like I I know there's things I can systemize. Like I like changing from manual pitching to to automated pitching either with Facebook ads or cold emails is something I'm looking into. But that also might be moved once I have uh, a lot of clients on recurring packages. But you know, to get there, I need to still pitch um, at least some people. But um, yeah, it's like, like right now, I like writers mainly talk to clients, which is awesome because it's like I get I get the same thing. It's like I get a lot of emails, but a lot of them are notifications from Basecamp, 
where a writer's like, oh, we submitted this, and then the client's like, oh, this is cool, this looks good. So it's like, I don't yeah. even have to go in there. But uh, sometimes the writers ask me for something, and I'm still the one, you know, kind of doing that, and I'm the one setting up the project. So if I wanted to, I could, you know, try to make it so that um, I hire someone to do that. But I mean, mm-hmm. It's a toss-up because I don't know if I want to get to the point where I'm scaling and I have so many employees. I'd rather have something that's very small, and then I start focusing on getting a business going that's that's like no people. Because I my I really don't want to deal with people. People give me headaches, so I'd rather try to build something that's just <laughs> built on like machines. Honestly, yeah. I mean, the the cool thing for me is, and I think this was, I, I hope this is going to be. Uh, one of the smartest decisions I've made in terms of promoting this girl because she's been my longest employee in the business. She's now been, it's kind of crazy to say that she's only, she's been working for me for like a year, but you know, that's a long time. Like the company is only two years old. So <laughs> she's, she's been here for 50% of the, the, the lifetime of the company. Yeah. But I mean, like, she's so. straight out of university. Like she's the youngest, well, second young, youngest or second? She's the youngest company uh she she just turned 22 and you know it's it's to me it was like a no-brainer because she's so smart uh she challenges me there were times where like i remember the first month that she worked for me i didn't like her because (laughs) she would finish her work and then she'd just be like hanging out but i was giving her the same amount of work that i was giving everybody else she just was like so fast at doing it so I thought, like, man, she's not invested. Like, I don't like this attitude. I sat down with her when we had our first one-on-one, and I, I told her straight up, I was like, I, I see that you're super smart, you're fast at what you do, but I'm not seeing that commitment. Like, when you finish your work, you should be asking me what else there is that you can do, because there is more stuff. I just don't know. I won't know how much to give you until you communicate that. And yeah, in month two, she started telling me like, yeah, I'm done. And then she started taking on more work. And then I just started giving her more and more stuff to the, to the stage where, you know, whenever there was like an, an emergency with a project or I needed something, I, whenever I needed something to be done at, at, in a certain speed to a certain quality, I'm looking at her. Mm-hmm. Like it got to a stage where I gave her like too much work. <laughs> you know, so there's that aspect. And then, then she got invested in the company. And, you know, she started to challenge me about some of my hiring choices. You know, she was like, I don't think she told me there was like one guy that I hired and she wasn't happy with uh, the way I hired him. She felt like I didn't do a good enough uh, due diligence on him. And like it was kind of a rush job. And I 100 percent agreed with her. And I was like, just seeing that she was able to identify those things and she was holding me to a higher standard. By the time we got to this stage where I felt like she was able to handle projects without me giving her much input, and she was able to do... The biggest thing is problem solving. That's that's one of the biggest issues. She was able to problem solve and handle stuff and communicate with clients. It was like, it's a complete no-brainer for her to be the person that I promote to project manager, even though there are other people. There's like one other girl who's maybe a little bit more qualified, a little bit older. She doesn't have all the skills that this girl has and the potential. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean it's yeah, like, yeah. I know with any company you're going to have people and contractors and stuff. It's just, I don't, like, I don't want to be the 
I don't want to have a company where I have to manage so many people and stuff. I mean, I know it's yep. it's kind of necessary for scaling, but you know, my ideal company doesn't involve that. So it's yep. kind of another choice I make. I might make right now with scaling is to keep it. Like I still want to make like a good amount of money, but I might keep it a bit smaller so I work with less people and then just focus on getting something going that again is I guess, built on machines. I guess the question would be, are you comfortable with the amount of problem solving that you have to do? Mm-hmm. And like onboarding. Right. Th- those are the two things that I wasn't comfortable with. Is like I was doing a lot of problem solving and a- answering questions mm-hmm. that I knew, like, there are questions that you can't really build SOPs around. Right. Because they were unique to projects and it comes from experience. Like, the answers were, came from experience. So that was my, that was the first thing. And then the second thing was with onboarding, um, there has to be some, at least with with the projects that we do, there has to be somebody who kind of, one, cares about the project, assigns it to somebody, mm-hmm. and then is also able to educate the person who's taking on the project uh, about the product or the process. Right, you know I mean? right. And, and like, yes, there are SOPs that we have around onboarding. Like, I mean, there's simple stuff, like how to create a project in Asana and like, you know, creating all the necessary files and, you know, we have an over. We have a template for project overviews and stuff like that. That's that's fine. But like, having somebody be like, okay, I think you're best suited to take on this project based on your skill level, um, and then, you know, them then sitting down with that person and answering any initial questions they have about the product and what the customers' requirements requirements are and stuff like that. So, those are the two things. I was like, having somebody to answer the questions that come from experience. And then having somebody to sit down with somebody at the beginning of a project and like make sure that that employee understands what their the customer's needs are mm-hmm. was like a necessary thing for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like our our businesses are obviously very different, but like I feel like with the systems I've built, because you know when a when a project starts, usually. A, the client fills out like a sheet with a lot of questions, an extraction sheet that answers basically all the questions the writer needs to know, say, about a project. And then uh, I give the writer like a nice project overview and I explain what they need to do. Then there are standardized videos and SOPs that show the writer like what they're going to need to do and how they have to work through the project. And then mm-hmm. also there's written SOPs which tell them how to do it. So it's basically like I think I've systemized everything to a reasonable point where it doesn't require that much input but also that's hiring good people to do yep. the actual work right also the third thing i don't know who said this i wish i remember where i read this but um it was getting it was having assigning somebody having somebody care about deadlines mm-hmm. you know having somebody else besides yourself who cares when something gets done yeah i think that's that like the main thing that i was thinking a project manager would handle is because the project set was pretty easy and someone doing that is cool, but it's just like not having to keep track of when things get shipped and like if yeah. things are late and stuff, that getting that off my chest would be nice because I just don't want to think about that. That's been one of my favorite things with her is like, and we're, we're kind of, we're still in that transition period because she's only been doing it for like two weeks, two, two or three weeks. And she's still like, I can see she's still kind of finding her feet in terms of being confident to speak up and also, my staff is still kind of stuck 
uh, and I'll talk about that later, but my staff is still kind of stuck in that mode of being used to turning to me mm-hmm. for, for, for questions. But like, yeah, over the weekend, there was two things that I knew had to get done. And I just sent her a message. I said, make sure you make sure you follow up with people on that. And yeah, she, she did. You know, I, I saw, you know, I saw she sent a couple of messages to other employees and, in Slack and, you know, the shit got done. Whereas usually I'd be calling, you know, two or three people on the weekend and asking them to follow up on something, you know. And uh, in this situation, it's like I only have one point person who I'm like, hey, make sure you follow up on these three projects because the stuff has to get done. And then she's the one who has to now keep track of three, four different situations at the same time, you know. So that, that, was, uh, that was one of my favorite things as well. And she, you know, the, the other funny thing is she's not used to being the bad guy. <laughs> she's she's used to being friends buddy buddy with, with everybody yeah she has but, to lay down a bit of a law now and she's like oh yeah. what do you mean yeah she's like she doesn't she says she doesn't she did she felt weird like uh badgering people to get shit done mm-hmm. but i'm like that's just the way it is man like you can't be there's gonna be times when people get like irritated with you because you're pushing for something to get done in a certain amount of time but that, that's how that's how businesses work. You can't be a hundred percent friends with everybody all the time. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I, leadership. Yeah, but it's cool because uh, even now, just explaining, like you asked me those questions, I just said it out loud, and it's like, like there's even more systems that I built that I wasn't even aware of, and like I'm, it's like I shot you a message last week. I was like, another day, another SOP, just writing more SOPs all the fucking time. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see where it, where it goes because, like, what I have in my mind is to take this consultancy to 10k profit a month, and that'll mostly be based on like recurring clients under like the cold email strategy stuff. Um, I mean, that's what I would, you know, my ideal thing is. And once I get there, I feel like that's gonna pretty much set me up wherever I need to go. And then just use the profits from that to start a new business. I mean, that's what I think right now. But you know, it could change. You know, later on, maybe I'll be like, no, this is cool. Let's just keep scaling it. But we'll see. We'll see. So, there's so much freedom. It's like where to live, how to do this, when to wake up. You know, it's uh, yep. such first world problems that uh, I'm very, very happy to have. Yeah, the, the guilt, the guilt that I was feeling in the past couple of weeks was this aspect of not being as informed about the day-to-day stuff in my projects and me being like well you know i used to know every single intricate detail of every project and it's like that's just that's impossible man. like you can't you can't keep all that information in your brain you can't be tracking that stuff somebody else has to to take ownership of those of those things mm-hmm. somebody else has to be accountable so yeah but the- and I, I was be- i was beginning to feel that and i was beginning to sit like when i sit at my computer and i'm used to doing an hour and a half of emails and it takes me 20 minutes to go through my stuff i'm like okay <laughs> so what am i uh what am i doing yeah. now? <laughs> i mean a lot of the times the past few weeks well yeah like the past few weeks i've finished my work early and then i'm like i moved my stuff from the next day to today it's like Yesterday I was gonna spend the whole day doing my quarterly review, but I finished all my work today, so I pushed like I started doing my quarterly review early today because I just I had time. But uh, you know, our friend Ryan, he said this like the first time he started using Basecamp and he saw his writers talking to clients and he was totally removed. He had this moment where he's like, "Oh, this is so cool!" And I think yeah. you had that and like with your emails and I had that. And I just I love it. It's 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 really cool. Well, you know, when I when I did my first uh, quarterly meeting. 
with my staff and it was the Q1 review. That was like, I told them in the meeting, I was like, this shit, this shit gives me, I didn't say this, but I said, this shit gives me a nerd boner. Yeah, I agree. Me I 100% sitting down, agree. Me sitting down, reviewing uh, revenue from the year before, seeing the growth from this year, you know, getting you guys to start, you know, filling out one page strategy plans for the next quarter and like setting initiatives and KPIs and like, you know, getting you guys taking ownership of different departments. Like this stuff is, is really sexy to me. And then now, you know, when we did the Q2 review last week, it was cool because I had these guys fill out, you know, stra- uh, strategy plans. And like I'm having, I think every single one of my employees at this stage has written at least one SOP. And, uh, you know, I set, I set a KPI for my project managers. Like, can you do an SOP uh, once a month? And well, I'm not talking about like small SOPs. This is like extensive. Uh, that would also take me probably a week to do. Mm. Uh, so she's like, yeah, I could do it. And then we sat down and we laid out what we thought were the three most important SOPs that, that we need to develop. And, you know, she's, gonna, she's been, she worked on one before. And it was like we have our weekly meeting on Tuesdays, or sorry, on Mondays, and I'll sit down with her and I'll pick apart what she's done well with SOP and what needs to be added. And you know, then we're drawing on, we're drawing on you know previous information from the business and all that stuff, and adding it to SOPs and sitting down and really, you know, me discussing with her like, what do you think are the biggest issues that are our employees struggle with right now with with regards to project management and dealing with factories and then her giving me her, her feedback and aligning with my vision. Mm-hmm. And then we picked the three most important ones. It's like, yeah, she's going to be banging out one a month. And I gave her stretch goals. Like I said, if we finish these uh, it, before the three-month stretch, then maybe we could work on this SOP. It's like, yeah, this is awesome. I don't have to be the person writing these anymore. Yeah. You know, I yeah. just need to edit them. I think like the thing is, you know, sometimes you'll feel the guilt for not doing stuff and not working because you know you can get used to grinding so hard. And especially like I think you and me were like from our past, we're used to just really working and just putting more hours. So I think that's why it's really clear or really important why you need to have clear goals that are just for you of what you're trying to achieve and accomplish. And uh, I mean, again, it's up to you also like how how much work you want to do each day to work towards that. But if you don't know what you're what you're moving towards, like your specific goals. So let's say you want a company that's producing two hundred fifty thousand dollars of profit per year. If you know that, and once you hit that, then you'll know like when to stop and when you when you can take off the gas. But otherwise, you'll just be working for work's sake. You you don't actually know what target you're trying to hit, right? Yeah, uh, but that's and that's the thing is like I think for me, uh, the guilt is gone now because. I still know, like, I, I guess what I had to do was shift my mindset. Like, it was almost like, I think I talked to you about this in the first podcast that we did. I might be wrong. But I remember when I was I was transitioning into starting, starting to hire people. When I had my first interns, I had been working by myself on the company for like three to four months. And at that stage, man, I was so used to having this, like, employee mindset where it's like my customer says you have to do this this and that and i'm sitting down and i'm following my customer's instructions and then yeah i mean i was doing a little bit of strategic planning but when i mean 
what I mean by employee mindset is you, you're only thinking about the work that you have to do. And then when I got my first intern, it was like, oh, now I'm responsible for not just assigning myself work and, and, and executing on that work, but assigning, thinking, sitting down and thinking about what this person has to do, assigning them the appropriate, appropriate amount of work and then following up on their work. That was like a huge mindset shift for me. It was going from that employee mindset to like a managerial mindset. And then now there was a shift from being a like somewhat employee, but but mostly like manager to this like a CEO mindset, mm-hmm. which is that I'm now doing strategic planning instead of me planning uh, specific project work strategic business planning and then strategic uh, problem solving within the business and then looking for resources. There was like I, I, so many books that I've read, so many podcasts, I'm like drawing on different things that I, that I read about. But there was one guy, Carl met this guy who was like a CEO of some multi-billion dollar company in the States. And he was saying how he looks at his employees and his, his company as as uh, as chess pieces, so he's always looking at moving the right employee to the right space, so they can push the company forward in a strategic way. So that's one. And then the second thing was somebody was talking about how the CEO's role is to just basically make everybody's work easier. Mm-hmm. So looking at the issues that your employees have and then fixing. I think that's from the mastering the rocker from the habits. And then the third thing is getting resources for your staff, whether it's money, uh, whether it's, you know, my staff saying, uh, hey, Rico, we'd really appreciate it if we had like a company phone so that we don't have to use our personal data when we go uh, out into the field. I was like, all right. So then we bought a, we co- we bought a company phone. And then when I was looking at expenses, I was like, how do I systemize this and make it easier for my staff to report mm-hmm. expenses on time? Mm-hmm. Then I'm looking at Zoho expenses and app, and I'm doing research on that. So it's like I'm I'm now allowed. Like I spent maybe like an hour today watching videos, tutorials on Zoho expense, and then seeing how that integrates with the other Zoho apps. So I'm already like putting a plan together in terms of what other Zoho applications I'm going to implement into the company in the next six months. Mm-hmm. And I I just never had time to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a great way of describing it. Let's say you have the three mindsets, CEO mindset, manager mindset, and employee mindset. I remember this was uh, two months ago. There was a project where someone didn't do good work, and I didn't have the funds at the time to hire someone else to redo the work, so I had to do it myself, and I was so fucking frustrated because it's like, this is shit I should not be doing. It's a waste of my time, honestly. Um, Now, I feel like, again, knock on wood, but... Uh, I don't do any employee-based work. Like that's all to people and contractors and employees I have hired. Um, I'm definitely doing managerial work, obviously, because I'm making sure the projects run on time and uh, seeing, like, setting everything up. But I feel like I would say 70% of my time is in the CEO hat. So it's like doing the quarterly review, writing the SOPs, thinking about like you know the higher the higher level stuff of like what should I be selling in my business to achieve my goal, stuff like that, versus maybe 30% of my time is spent managing, right? And then, well, I guess uh, maybe a quote-unquote employee thing I do is like selling 
because it's like a specific task. But I feel like you know that's just kind of higher level stuff that you know I just do right now. Yeah, because you're the best at it. That that's you're the best in your company at that because it's not necessary. That's what I realized with the sales team. I was, I was looking at all the stuff that I do before. It was like a year ago, and I was like, yeah, I'm pretty good at I'm pretty good at organizing and strategic planning. But sales is like I've been doing that since I was 19. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like I'm not, that's what that's what I'm really good at. I have a very high close rate, and like I have, a, I have a good system around it. People like me, so I was like, yeah, like that should be. If out of all the things in the company that I want to hire out, sales is probably going to be one of the last things that I hire out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I enjoy it still. I really enjoy talking to new people. I enjoy giving people advice. Um, I I love it when I close sales. Like uh, you know, there's I don't feel the need right now to hire out hire out that part of the the, the business. Yeah, you know? See, that's a good point because like oh sorry I thought you were done. Never mind. <laughs> no, I was I was gonna say I could imagine myself like sitting on a beach in in uh, in in what, what south the south of France still taking sales calls. <laughs> you know I mean like I, I I don't mind doing that. Yeah. See, it's funny because for me, like, I've realized that I'm actually good at sales. I was just forcing myself to do something I don't want to do. And also, I, I got tripped up when I'm running into clients who don't want to pay, where it's just like, those are the wrong clients for me. But uh, where I'm really good is systems thinking and, like, like setting up everything. Like, it's probably because of my background in engineering, but that shit, like, I love it because I'm really good at it. And it's the way I think. Um, and I might, I might revisit like hiring someone for sales in the next few months, depending on how fast I build up like the, the monthly recurring packages and stuff. Cause maybe it's just, it's be easier. Like let's say if I have a dedicated sales rep who can take calls in United States time. Cause right now, you know, I have specific times when I take those late or early morning calls. But if I have someone based in the U S or Canada taking them, I'm probably going to have a lot more calls, uh, open and it might just make things easier. So might be something I, I go back to like in the next few months. It might be like, oh, maybe I should uh, try to hire someone and train them and stuff. And then, you know, just that's that's done. We'll see. Yeah, and at the end of the day, what's probably going to happen is you just get bigger projects and then it's it's worth your time to take. Because what, what, I, what I see, what I envision myself doing is like, I will probably stop taking sales calls that don't hit, that are not worth a certain amount of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's probably going to be the first step, and then because right now I'm still pretty open. Like even even projects that are worth a hundred dollars, I'll I'll take a fifteen minute sales call. Like it's just I don't I don't have any issues doing that. Like I know people say, well, but you know I could charge I could charge money, but like I I could I charge way more than that for my time. But it's like I don't mind doing a fifteen minute sales call if that means we close a hundred dollar thing that doesn't take us much time to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would be the first thing that I systemize and have somebody else do. Yeah. You know? And I mean, cause that's a good point. It's like the difference between talking to the CEO is it's like a big weight and like your customer or client is going to feel like it's special compared to talking to a sales rep. Right. It's like, if you talk to the CEO of like, you know, was a freaking big company, a fucking uh, Philips or LG or like Apple or whatever, like it's going to Tim Cook. Yeah, but it's like it's going to be a big freaking deal compared to talking to like just a random sales rep, right? Yeah, because then you know, you know, you, we're talking big business. Yeah, you, you know, it, it's important at that stage. So yeah, I mean, 
I, I'm just I'm happy that um, I'm seeing the systems like the fruit of my labor. Yeah, uh, it, it's really cool to see the shit work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I mean, for a long time, you just uh, even when I think about the systems, it's like I've had employees who thought that our systems were too complicated, and it made me question. I was like, is this true? But then. At the same time, it's like, yeah, there's a reason why the company's grown this fast. And there's a reason why the company keeps on growing. So if you're not with the program from day one, then you're not suited for this company. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm more than happy to improve systems. I'm more than happy to, if you think that there's something that we can eliminate or there's something that we can make better, then that's great. But if you're going to come in and say like, oh, you know, the system's too complicated, it's like, well... You know, the, again, there's a reason why the company's grown to the stage. You know, mm-hmm. why don't you spend the time learning the system first, and then you can give suggestions on how we can improve it. Um, yeah. Um, so that's why I fired. I fired a dude last month. <laughs> how How was that experience? Because, like, you know, I've quote unquote fired people, but it's usually been online. It's been like a one off contractor, but I, I, not like I'd an fired, employee. I fired. Fired two, three people at this stage. Were they working like long term, like a few months or? Uh, the first guy was a few months. Like the first guy was like three months. Uh, actually, ironically, all of the people that I fired have been dudes for some reason. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, you no, know, no comment, man. You like keeping I'm, those girls around. I'm a feminist, man. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm no, no. It's like women to start no, you, you want to have like the girls in the office, so managers. then like the clients move in, and they're like, "Oh, look at all the the pretty girls. I want to give SFA my money." I don't. I don't hire based on looks. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, like um, the first guy, he'd been working for me for three months. I really liked him. Like, I, he, he'd kind of grown up in the states. Uh, he spoke Mandarin in like almost perfect English. Like he was the first employee that I had where we could sit down and like have conversations about like comic comic books and you know things like that. Like so that was just cool to have that camaraderie. But he just was bad. Like he there was a couple situations where the dude ghosted from work. I think and then just like I couldn't get a hold of him till one PM and he just really had no excuse for why he didn't show up to work. Like and then there's just a few things where he was taking very long to complete tasks that usually take like, you know, a few hours, maybe a day, take like three, four days to complete. It just got to a stage where it was like, it was very obvious between me and my one other employee at the time that this guy was just not a good fit. So um, he he was tra- he was going to travel and I just told him like, yeah. Yeah, I don't just don't come back. Basically, <laughs> like, yeah, just, just get the I, fuck yeah, out. Was, just get the fuck out. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was uncomfortable. It was, it was one of the hardest things that I had to do. But yeah, I, uh, that was okay. And then the second time, the second time was also super uncomfortable. Um, that guy had been working for me for like three to four months, and his attitude was very good. He used to show up to work at time, but he was just he just didn't have it. Like. He just didn't have the skill set for this kind of business, man. Like, I think, yeah, it was just, I really don't want to say what, I, what I'm thinking, but it was just, it was a lack of intelligence, a lack of organizational skills. And I, I gave him a good shot. Like, I really tried to teach him, but he just, it just wasn't happening. So, 
kept him until Chinese New Year, and then I, I called him and uh, I told him that we we no longer required his services. And, and I think he, he saw it coming. I think he knew it was going to happen. So he was like, "All right." Uh, third guy, not sim- third guy was smart. He actually had experience. He had worked in a factory, so he knew the system. He knew how to communicate with suppliers. Like he knew everything about how to do the job. He just didn't. He didn't agree with our systems from like day one. So it was very difficult for me to to get him on board and really follow what we we're doing. And you know, I think he. I think he felt like he knew. He, I think he felt like what we were doing wasn't the right way of doing it. Um, he, he was he was the kind of guy where it's like I would tell him, "Here's a new project. We need to get ten uh, quotations, and then go back to the client and have the client review the quotations and get back to us." He wanted to like get one quotation and then have conversation with the factory and like set up the entire order and then go to the client. And the thing that I was explaining to him was like, dude, that's a waste of time because just because you think the factory is great, it doesn't mean that the client is going to like that factory based on multiple things. It could be the quotation. It could be the design. It could be the lead time. Like we have to go to the client with multiple options. And he was like, no, but that's a waste of time. Like that takes too long. Like why are we doing it? Like it was always this, you know, back and forth. And and then the other thing was like he he wasn't used to managing multiple projects at the same time. So like we get paid as a consulting agency, we get paid based on time, right? So I, to me, the way I look at it is like, if, if a client is paying us our standard rate, that requires you to do a certain amount of hours in a day, and then you need to work on another project. He didn't want to do that. He wanted to, again, spend the entire day on one project. And that meant that the one or two other projects that he was working on fell behind. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was like, "No, but I'll, I'll work on that other project on Wednesday." And I'm like, "No, we have to have day-to-day progress on all of our projects because you know we can't just put we can't just push back a client by three days because you wanted to focus on this project first. Like that doesn't make sense." Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, no, he just never he never agreed with our system, and yeah, I just I uh, just had to let him go. I think he had a very uh, I, I would, I'd say, for lack of a better word, he had a very Chinese approach to consulting. <laughs> yeah, like he wasn't. He wasn't looking at the big picture. Mm. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, so, but I mean, he was it, the easy. He was the easiest to, to let go because I have I'd done it two, two times prior to that. So I just called him and I said, "Man, like, I'm gonna have to let you go." And uh, I was like, "Do you want to know the reason why?" He's like, "I think I, I kind of know, but." Yeah, let me know. And then I just explained to him that, you know, I have no problem with you disagreeing with me and challenging me, but you can't come into a business and only work there for two weeks and then completely just disregard the system. Mm-hmm. Like you have to, you have to work with the system and then fix it from uh, inside. If you really think that the system isn't working properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe. Uh spin tailing office, you know, towards the end. You're saying you had conversation with uh, your project manager. I'm kind of curious what that was about. An interesting conversation. So, yeah, I sat down with her. Because I, I was in Hong Kong on, on Monday, I wasn't able to have our weekly meeting, so we scheduled it today. And I sat down with her. We're going through the docket and kind of the KPIs for the quarter and stuff. And she said to me, 
Um, I, I'm not sure if it's because I'm new and maybe the staff aren't used to me being an authority figure, but I feel like uh, they aren't executing as fast on my requests as they usually do when you request it. And she was like, I don't know if, it, if they're becoming lazier or what the situation is. She's like, I don't know how to handle it. So I said to her, first of all, that's a very normal problem to have. I have, I had the same issues and this happens with management. The reason why they're not executing on your tasks, it could be, it could be a situation where they're still trying to get used to you as an authority figure. That may be part of it. But the bigger thing is when you're giving them these objectives that you want them to do, you're not giving them um, you're not giving them deadlines and you're not giving them like uh, clear measurables. Mm-hmm. You know, so like you're saying, can you do this? But you're not saying, I need you to do this by this time. It's very different when you tell somebody to do something versus telling them you need it done by tomorrow. Yeah, it's like the standard definition of a smart goal, right? Yeah, exactly. So that was an interesting conversation to me because I was like, oh, you're going through the same problems that I had when I first started managing people. I was like, this is cool. Um, and she's beginning to notice that. So I was like, and she agreed with me. So I was like, what we should be focusing on is it's not that the staff is lazy. It's that we as a management team are not giving them clear objectives and we're not giving them proper uh, measurable tasks that we can then say, okay, you, we told you to have this done by Wednesday. It's Thursday. You haven't had it done then it's not your fault, it's their fault. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that's, that's, that was a, a conversation I had with her and I just kind of gave her the framework that I use when I'm setting goals. Because the other thing is like before, I was, so, I was so much the guy saying like, okay, we have this project, you need to find X amount of factories by this time and then you need to do this. So it was like, people didn't really have to think too much about what their goals were. What I'm trying to do right now is teach my staff how to set goals. Um, so my thing with her is like, don't make the same, don't do the same thing that I did, which was like setting, like setting goals for everybody. Have them set the goal, and then give them a uh, make it measurable. So if they say, "I'm gonna work on, I'm gonna work on following up with this factory." okay, that's not a measurable goal. Like following up with that factory could be you sending them one message in the morning. It's like, I'm going to work, I'm going to follow up on this with this factory of this bit of information. And if they don't reply to me by this time, then I'm going to do this. So that's, that's kind of the conversation I had with her today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess for me, when I, uh, when I split off things for contractors into, um, the basic email marketing projects, it's so broken down already in my project outline SOP that it's very clear what they need to do and when. And then it's like with, I guess from from my first years of doing my dropshipping internship and four-hour working, I always remember how Tim Ferriss like said how you give instructions to people. It's like, do this, here's the deadline, blah, blah, blah. If you have any questions or whatever, it's like, and you can't get to me, make an assumption and just move forward, like all that type of stuff. So I've, yeah. I don't know, I've always operated in that way. I've always tried to. So you guys have seen me waking up early for the past two days. You've seen me going to factories. You've seen me dealing with my Chinese employees. You've seen me at the IFC Tower. You've seen me working late. But you might be wondering or asking, 
how how did I get here? in their life, 25 year old CEO, Shoshan Asia, made a China podcast, manufacturing consulting in China. It's, it's a little bit different when the work that you're doing is, is independent. Um, so if, if you're, for example, if you're writing an article or you're writing an SOP or a sales page, once you have all the information that you need, it's pretty much just dependent on you doing it and then making decisions along the way. Whereas when we're dealing with, we're relying on other companies to give us information. So that, that's, that's where the issues come into play. It's not necessarily that my staff doesn't know what to do in terms of their work. They will contact the factory. Then again, you're dealing with personalities, right? Because every factory is different. Every salesperson is different and all that stuff. So it's like some factories reply very quickly. Uh, some of them give us you know, all the information that we need. Then there's other factories that need a little bit more finessing, a little bit more of a conversation. And that's like... Those are things that you only develop with experience, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then, then it's like I have to sit down with them and say like, so this is a conversation that I have with my staff quite often. It's like I'm teaching them like what is the motivation behind the factory's request? Because they'll say like, oh, you know, I asked the factory for this information and then they asked me for this and they don't want to give me this. So then I said, okay, flip it like what is the factory what do you think is the reason why the factory wants this bit of information and she goes like well uh you know that i'm talking to a salesperson so she doesn't really know the technical stuff so i'm like if she doesn't know the technical stuff why don't you ask her to talk to her superior or talk to her engineer and ask the same question that you asked and then nine times out of ten they end up getting the answer Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like those kind of things where it's I'm trying to teach them to think about what the motivation is from why is this person rejecting my request or, you know, why is this person not answering my question clearly? It's probably because they have a different motivation that you're not understanding. You're only focused on like trying to get this bit of information and like forcing them to give you that bit of information. So those are those are the things where it's like. I, yeah, like I don't know how, I have no idea how you systemize that. That needs to be like somebody with experience knowing how to talk to suppliers, you know? Yeah, definitely so, true. Yeah, so that's 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 the thing. Is like uh, That's one of the, the the shittiest parts about relying on, on other companies is that you if you end up working with a company that isn't reliable, mm-hmm. then that ultimate, ultimately makes you unreliable as well like you don't have control over that stuff so well i mean it's just like in general with shitty clients it's like i was uh 
I've started to get like a really good sense of which clients are good and which clients are bad. And it's like I'm working with someone right now. I won't say the details or anything, but let's just say once I'm done a certain project with them, I'm cutting them off because I can tell they just be like a headache going forward. It's like I want to. F- I have to finish what I've you know agreed to. Actually, this, I technically don't, but I'm going to, and then I'm just going to be like, okay, we're done. Because again, I can just see. I see the little cracks in the surface and it's just frustrating, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, for me, the the way I see systemizing that is is just hiring somebody else who has experience as project manager. That's that's the reason why I promoted my, uh, I promoted the girl that I promoted. It was just, I've seen her handle that level of problem solving without my input. So I'm like, oh, okay, you can do that. You have the experience, you have the understanding, you have the problem-solving skills to answer these questions. So mm-hmm. that's why I put her in position. And I, it was a, there was an interesting thing that happened today. Was it today or yesterday? I think it was yesterday. One of my employees, um, I stepped into the office for a bit, so one of my employees is like, hey, do you have a second? I was like, all right, fine. So she lays out the bottleneck that she was having. So I just turned to the, the new project manager and I said, what do you think? You know, and then she gave her, she asked a few questions and then she gave her suggestion. And then my employee is like, oh, okay, Rico, what do you think? And I was like, I agree with her. Simple. I was like, she's right. Mm-hmm. And then the, the girl asked another question and I turned back to the project manager and I said, what do you think? And she gave her a suggestion as I agree with you again. So that was, that was to me just like a moment showing my staff that, hey, you know, she's she's capable of giving you the same answers that I would give you. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like that that kind of stuff. Like, that, that was Pavlovian training. It's like, start asking this girl questions. Get the fuck away yeah. from me. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was kind of funny the way I did it. It's like, I didn't even say anything. I just like, I turned, I smiled, I looked at, I looked at Imogen, she's, she's a project manager, and I smiled, I was like, what do you think? And she was like, she looked at me, she was like, oh, you really want me to answer? And I'm like, yeah, Let's do it, you know. <laughs> yeah, this is your moment to shine. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I don't know. I guess the the other thing on my mind now. We talked about this a bit before. Was the uh, I don't know. I'm thinking just like in travel plans in general. Like I said, having a nice home base, nice um, nice routine is good. But yeah, again, it's it's weird. I wanna I wanna be safe and I wanna make sure I have enough money, but. Probably going to be traveling to big cities more, and probably going to be moving in the not so distant future. Definitely by like next year, because my plan is to go back home to Canada in the summer uh, to visit. But like after that, I'm probably just going to be in big cities for the rest of my life. Oh, yeah, I've always, um, just to just to close that manager topic, I just thought of something as you as you were speaking. Mm. I was I was thinking about how all of my all of the people that kind of helped me along the way have done the same thing with me you know uh i remember when i was working at rw and co in, in toronto like my favorite manager her name was gina one of these days oh when i, I back remember to- her i remember her i remember you telling me about like some of the stuff that you guys did uh, she was also awesome, that she she really just put she was the first manager who just kind of put me in a leadership position without me asking for it. Like, I, I told her that I wanted to start my own business eventually and stuff. Um, but yeah, there was situations where problems came up or a situation came up and I was like, hey, Gina, this happened. She was like, how would you resolve this? 
I was like, wait, seriously? She's like, yeah, yeah. Well, what, what, what's, what's your idea? And so I was like, um, maybe we do this, this, and that. She was like, yeah, do that. Hmm. I was like, I was like, wait, wait, oh, so then that just gave me that belief system that oh, I'm actually capable of making, you know, good decisions in, in a managerial sort of way. Um, and then eventually, I I started solving those things by myself. And then, you know, the delicate thing is obviously understanding when, when you need to consult, you know, somebody higher up. But just her giving me that that trust was like one of the first steps. And then, and then the second person was was Mike actually. Actually, no, no. The second person was was Dima. When I was working for Dima, it was the same thing where he started giving me freedom to make decisions on certain sales objectives or marketing objectives. And I kind of got to play around in a startup without my money, like without my money being on the line. You know, what I mean? <laughs> you know. And then the third the third person was Mike. Like we we would have we would go to visit factories and then uh, you know certain things would come up at the factory and then Mike would say what what is your what do you what's your assessment of that situation? And then I would give him my assessment and he would say, Yeah, that's right. And I was like, Oh, okay. So that kind of gave me that belief. So now I'm I'm kind of doing the same thing with with my project managers. When she asks me a question, what's your what's your opinion on this? Mm-hmm. Before I give her my assessment and and Eight times out of ten, nine times out of ten, her assessment is basically the same assessment that I have, mm-hmm. and then I maybe just have to add a few things. Yeah, I mean, I started doing that actually with one of my writers. First project he worked on, he asked a question, and then I, I think I wrote like a two-line thing, and then but at the end I was like, I trust your judgment, so you know, you you are the expert, you make the call, and then of yeah. course he he went ahead, and now he just like he just makes the decisions himself, and then of course. The, the, I think the hardest part when it comes to that is just you have to create like a sandbox. Um, so with her, I just told her that anything anything up to 100 bucks, I trust her judgment on. Anything beyond that, mm-hmm. then we need, we need to talk about it before, before you make a decision. Right. And then as soon as I see that, you know, she's executing on $100, I'll increase it to 500 and we'll just slowly scale up from there. Mm-hmm. Cool. Anyway, so so the, going back to big city life. Um, yeah, I mean, I've always said the same thing, and I see myself living in a big city by uh, a water source. Yeah, that's that's my that's my long term. Yeah, Hong Kong is amazing, but I don't know. I think maybe Hong Kong might be a little bit too crazy for me. Yeah, well, for me, it's like I'm starting to feel like. When I was like, I've lived in different places in Ho Chi Minh, but when I was right in the city center, it was just way too much like busyness for me and my personality. I need, I think I'm going to end up, I don't want to live in as small a town as my hometown of Ottawa, but like I want a big city, but I'm living a bit removed from the craziness in suburbs where there's like some nature, but it's like, it's not like that long to get into like the, the heart of the city, right? That's what I yeah, eventually and think is going to happen. Don't get me when I say busy, yeah, you can always find your slice of. Of quiet in, within a big city, like even where where I live, I'm I'm in the city center, like in, in the central business district. But I'm living in an apartment complex that's pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. It's like a big apartment complex. However, what I mean is like, oh, I mean just the um, 
I mean the people in Hong Kong, like the kind of people that I would end up hanging out with oh. are a little bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, no, no comment. It's, they have way too much money. And they're way too young. Yeah. Well, that's, that's like right now. Expense. If I lived in Ho Chi Minh, I would spend way more money like going out. Like restaurants are more expensive. There's like a lot of clubbing there. I would spend way more money. So I'm kind of in Chiang Mai as a strategic choice. Because again, if Ho Chi Minh, Bangkok, spend way too much money. Uh, that's why I kind of want to wait until I have uh, more cash floating around. But uh, to be but honest, like... Even that, it's, it's very dangerous because the thing about, again, it's like Hong Kong is like New York for anybody that's listening. It's like when you get, when you start to hang around people that are making six, seven figures mm-hmm. per a year, and you know they're always buying bottle service, or they're always going to the most expensive restaurants, and they're always doing crazy stuff. You're gonna end up doing the same stuff because, of course, you know the average of the five people that you spend the most amount of time with. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the kind of lifestyle that I want to live. Yeah. Long term. Exactly. <laughs> I agree with that. It's like I like that in small doses, but I don't want to be. I don't. Yeah. That's that's kind of the uh, the thing I'm trying to to weigh. Uh, yeah. I don't want my core group of friends to always be encouraging me to spend a thousand dollars a night like, yeah it's not yeah it's not necessary but like the other <laughs> thing is to be honest like i like you can find it but because i've lived in big cities and i've lived in small cities i've lived in Nang and vietnam and chiang mai and thailand and then i've also lived in ho chi minh and like toronto and like just the dating scene in small cities is just absolutely abysmal because there's low choice, and I don't know, it's just it's been very frustrating. And for me, dating is starting to be kind of something that I want to, like, I want to take a bit more seriously. And I'm able to find like, there's just way more quantity of women, so it's way easier to find like stuff I like in in bigger cities. So that's another reason why I'm thinking it's it's kind of high time to to uh, leave Chiang Mai. Yeah, for me, what what I love about small cities is is, is the diversity. So I think that's bigger. I think that's more what you mean in terms of dating, because obviously, I mean, yeah, you know. You mean what you like about big cities? You said what you like about small cities is diversity. Uh, big, big cities. Yeah. Big cities. So I think that's a. I think that's the bigger thing than than dating falls underneath diversity, right? So mm-hmm. like, if you're in a small city, like you said, there's just not that many options. And but when you're in a big city, like I met, like I told you a couple of weeks ago, I met a, a lady who a lady. Is, a CEO of her own business and she's been in China for like nine years and she, she's awesome. She's from Spain. But beyond that, it's just like meeting people from around the world, meeting people that are doing things that inspire you, you know, uh, all that stuff and just being able to attend different types of events and mm-hmm. all, all the different things that you can do within a small, within a big city. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's more, that's super important to keep me motivated person. Yeah, I, then, I 100% agree with that. 100%. Yeah. Then when it comes to the uh, the water thing, I don't. Know, I just love water. Like yeah. I fell in love. I fell in love with being by a water source in Toronto. Being by Lake, Lake Ontario it was just like doing the boat cruises in the summer, looking at the city. Um, it was just gorgeous, man. It was just. I was like, man, I just. I want this more. Yeah. Like, I want to. I want to own a boat just to go on cruises. I'm on a boat, motherfucker. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. that like again, this is all first world stuff. Um, so 
Like if plan, like again, it depends how business goes. But I know probably at the at the end of one calendar year, like I definitely don't want to be moving back here. I want to go back to Canada, then move to something like Ho Chi Minh, Taiwan, Tokyo, something like that. Um, but yeah, definitely like a big city, and I guess we'll see. The other thing is to be like I still think having a home base is really important. But you know, I'll probably move somewhere, stay there for like a year. Dedicate myself there, and then maybe keep moving around. But、uh, we'll see. But I'm definitely starting to want that big city, big city living again. And again, like I said, I feel like Ho Chi Minh, like Vietnam, is the infrastructure. Honestly, is pretty crappy.、Um, it feels like it feels like what my business was like the first few years. It was like everything was just kind of tacked together. I feel like in a few years, Vietnam is going to be much better off because、uh, I'll have hey, more time. I, I.、Uh... Somebody told me that Vietnam is China 15 years ago. That sounds about right. <laughs> that actually does. But、um, yeah, like I think it's going to be it will be up and coming. But right now, it's. Did you actually know that on average the pollution in Ho Chi Minh is worse than Beijing? Huh. Yeah. I didn't know that.、No. Crazy. But、um, yeah, so there's a lot of pros about Vietnam, and I know it. But there's a lot of cons. So I don't know. Maybe I'll try Bangkok. Maybe I'll. Head to Taiwan or something else, but yeah, we'll see. But I definitely feel like the big city is going to be where I end up、uh, very soon because the I'm I feel like I'm outgrowing the the small city stuff. But for right now, I'm just going to like focus, hustle, get money together, and then like yeah, you know, move on from there. Yeah. Also, the opportunities, man, in that big city, like、uh, the kind of people that I've met, Joe. It's pretty insane. I, I met I met this guy two and a half years ago, and at the time I was just teaching English. It's like new and everything was like bright lights and stuff. I met him in a in a in a dive bar, a、mm-hmm. British dive bar, and he is like head of operations of Coca Cola bottles,、uh, Coca Cola bottle caps in、mm-hmm. China. And that was pretty insane because it's like when you think about it, when you really extrapolate it, like there's one point, what, one point three, one point four billion people in China. The the bottle cap for a Coca-Cola bottle. That's a full-time business, man. That's they're they're producing billions of units a year. That is a full. That's like a separate company、mm-hmm. away from the actual Coca-Cola business. And it's just like I would never meet a guy like that in most circumstances, and let alone be able to sit down with him for an hour and pick his brain. It's like things, things like that. Like, that's what I love about being in a city like this. And it's just like going to the cross-border summit. The past two years, like you know, I'm meeting people that have been I'm meeting people that are basically running businesses the way I want to run them, and they've been doing it for 15, 20 years.、Mm. And just like being able to、uh, like sit down with that guy and, and pick his brain on how he set up his sourcing company and like what how different it was 20 years ago. And like I think I talked about one of my competitors, I built him up to be such an enemy, and then when I met him, he was like telling me about where the next opportunities are, and he's、mm. got me thinking about opening up offices in Thailand. And、uh, it maybe in Vietnam, so it's like, yeah. If I was just comfortable in some small city, like I probably wouldn't be. I probably wouldn't be meeting people that expand. Yeah, well, it's funny because like my friend was saying,、uh, he's like, oh yeah, now that you have the one-year visa and you have like all this freedom, 
now it's like you don't you don't need it. It's like you want to leave, and I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> it is what it is. But again, we'll see. It's like you know, I have my plans, but you know, life is what happens when you're busy making plans. So we'll see. But you know, my ideal case would be maybe. Uh, I don't know if it, it would make sense to move. Like, actually, no, it would. It would make me happy. Probably move somewhere, start of 2018, go home to Canada, uh, come back, and then move somewhere for a year. But uh, I'll probably like jet off to Bangkok and live there for a month just to see how it is. Because uh, you know, Alex is there, and Alex has like a, a super good routine. He's like, yeah, I live here because it's close to the co-working space and the gym, so I'd probably be able to just drop in and get going. Uh, with that but again we'll see and the nice thing is like because of the life we live it's like yeah we we constrict ourselves for productivity and to make us happy but it's like we still have freedom to to choose and choice to make choices and move if we so desire to and we can right yeah yeah no bangkok no bangkok is just another hong kong <laughs> probably, probably even probably even more rugged yeah i mean the nice thing is, like, Alex lives, again, in the suburbs, so he's away from the craziness, which, like, you sent me a picture. It's, like, nice trees and, and stuff, and I was like, oh, this doesn't look like it. But, you know, there's there's some hecticness to it, but, you know, that's big city living. Yeah, no, I just, I think there's also a certain aspect of, like, the type of city that you're in is going to dictate the kind of people that you meet mm-hmm. as well. So if you're in a place like Bangkok, but then you're in the suburbs, Chances are the people that you hang out with, I mean, I don't know, maybe in the suburbs you meet different types of people, but like chances are the people that are in the city in Bangkok are probably going to be, you know, rugged, crazy individuals. Yeah, I agree with that. Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I, you know, I think it's like finding, like Toronto, Toronto's got that good balance of like people that are very, very ambitious and you know, people that are in the startup world and banking and stuff like that. And then it also has that entrepreneurial spirit. I think like a Silicon Valley as well, like you'd have people that are, you know, super ambitious and super you know, crazy and wild and out there, but then you'd also have like the free-spirited people that are really just trying to do positive things. And yes, they enjoy going out. Yes, they enjoy, you know, having fun experiences, but they're also very laid back and, and chilled, and you know, that's that's basically what I'm looking for. Is I guess our core group of guys, it's almost impossible to find. I guess. But yeah, it's it's really impossible. It's really hard to find. It's another reason yeah, why I like Chiang Mai is because like I have a few guys here like that, and it's it's very difficult to find that. You know, when you, you start see, I'm traveling, trying to, you're trying to replace all you dudes. Yeah, I know. Same here. <laughs> that's like when Ryan and Nick left. I was worried, and then it's like, well, I have friends here now, so it's it's okay. But yeah, it's hard to find uh, those people. But uh, oh man, I was I was gonna make fun of you for something. I forget my insults. So whatever, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the, the other issue is though when you are in. Um, I think let's say like Chiang Mai. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I was well. This wasn't what I was going to say, but it's like yeah, in Chiang Mai, most of the time you're just meeting people in elephant pants. There aren't there aren't many big players or people like making huge systemized businesses, right? Which is why I try to you know talk to you and other people who are doing that, so that you know I'm inspired and I'm and it kind of pushes me. Because uh, yeah. yeah, Chiang Mai, like it's known as a starter digital nomad hub for a reason. Like it's very cheap and you don't really have to push that hard, which is sometimes good because you can live stress-free, but sometimes bad if you want to, you know, get to the next level. Yeah. So the thing I was going to say is like cities like 
Chiang Mai. Chiang Mai is smaller, but like cities like Chiang Mai and Zhou, and uh, maybe even Shenzhen, to that for that matter, are like transition cities. Yeah, you know that's they're, a they're really kind of, great way of describing it. Yeah, they're the kind of cities where you go. And you're there for some time, but you're there to make a start. Yeah, it's like uh, Nick Nick Ramil. He said this. I don't remember what it was about. Maybe it was about Guangzhou. He's like, this was not the end goal, something like yeah, that, right? And that, that's that's the problem as well. Is like you, like I have two very good friends um, that I met through InterChina. Actually, I had three, but you know, one guy left last year. Um, Carl just got a a great job working for a startup called Thread. Um, it's actually a pretty cool business model. They take like recycled materials and, and turn it into um, material that you can use to make clothing and shoes and stuff like that. Mm. Um, so, but then now Thread has it like, traveling to Vietnam and you know uh, where else was he? Was in Cambodia? He was in Myanmar. So he's gone. Like he's he's not going to be in China for a while. And then Harrison. Harrison's here right now, but Harrison is just like me. He doesn't plan on being here forever. So, what what I what you ideally want to be in is, is in a city that has that entrepreneurial vibe, but is also the kind of city that people want to stay. In. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's what's missing from a, a place like Guangzhou and, and Shenzhen and Chiang Mai. It's like it's cool for some time, but it's not the long term. Yeah, but I think like realist cities, like again, you know, there's. There might be pros and cons, like you're saying. Hong Kong might be a bit crazy, but I feel like Hong Kong, Bangkok, like again, it depends on who you are and stuff. Like Hong Kong, Bangkok, Chiang Mai, or sorry, Hong Kong, Bangkok, Ho Chi Minh, Tokyo. These are more of the cities where it's like it's got the hustle and it's got it pushes you, but there's a lot of stuff to do. And I feel like it's more like again, it depends on your personality, but it's more like you could probably settle there for the long term. Yeah, and it's even Nick. Nick is kind of hinted at this and I think this is a big part of the reason why Nick decided to, to kind of um, get back into EC uh, basically full time and got break to, to purchase EC as an asset is I think Nick also feels that. He feels like okay I'm in Hong Kong and I'm in this world but is this necessarily me? Is this necessarily what I, I got into business for? And I think for him into China is more of the type of business that he wanted to be involved in, and it, it also allows him to be like more flexible with his his life and his time and his schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, so I I think that actually you know let's get a little bit more philosophical <laughs> in the streets. I think when you get into into big cities, sometimes when you get into that, this is kind of the I guess this is what I was hinting at when I'm talking about a place like Hong Kong and maybe Bangkok, is that you can get surrounded by people that help you advance in your career, but you can also lose yourself. You can lose yeah. your core person. Yeah. And, and then, you know, realizing my core, my core being is somebody who wants to live a comfortable life. I want to be able to do whatever I want to do and also relax. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be constantly in competition with people in terms of buying new cars. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's like you could be in Hong Kong and, you know, these people are chasing like multi-million dollar businesses, which there's nothing wrong with, but maybe you don't want to go that place or it's like, yeah, you're spending, you drop like 3K a night, 
on bottles yeah. and shit. It's like maybe that's not what you want. Is that what you want? Like always question that. It's something that I want to dabble in. It's not something that I want to be me. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, that's not that's not necessarily what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I'd be much happier, you know, hanging out with my friends at, on a beach and, and going out like and spending 50 bucks but having the time of our lives. Yeah. And then it's like, then, you know, here and there, drop like, a bit more money, it's okay, but not like yeah, every and fucking then night. Maybe you know, fly to to Saint Tropez and, and rent a yacht. But yeah, I don't necessarily want to live in Saint Tropez and be like living on a yacht full time. That's mm-hmm. not necessarily. That's not. That doesn't necessarily suit my my, yeah. my core values as a person. And the thing is, like, yeah, you have these core values, but the nice thing also is, like, as you hopefully live your life and you and you you're listening to yourself, you'll find these things out. It's like. Before I left to Vietnam, when it was mainly Maurice saying like, "Oh yeah, the city like slows you down," I disagreed with him because I was basing my judgment on my last month living in Ho Chi Minh, where I was in the city center, and I was stressed out because there's too much going on. And I like the chillness of Chiang Mai, and also because I was stressed out that time. But then I systemized my business. I lived on, or I was in the outskirts visiting Ho Chi Minh, where I was in a condo complex. It was much more. Everything was like much more uh, taken care of, and I wasn't in that much insanity. I was like, "Oh, okay, this is different." And then I also see myself in Chiang Mai. It's like I'm pushing, but I know, like, if I was around other people, I would probably be more um, inspired, and also I'd be happier in big cities because of, like, we said about the diversity and the amount of stuff going on. So it's like, yeah, it changed, and I'm listening to myself, and I know, like, staying in Chiang Mai for a long time or like say for the rest of my life would be like a completely bad decision to make or I shouldn't say bad but it would be the wrong decision I feel like to live the life it, that it'd I'm be the to wrong live. decision based on your long term ambitions yeah exactly but it's like for the short term like saving money having a nice routine I know my friends here that that's a good choice and that's just smart strategic thinking I think that's the that's one of the most difficult things that people struggle with is making short-term decisions that still add up to their long-term goals. Yeah, not like sabotaging yourself where you're like, well, it's like you could be doing, say, an an internship as an entrepreneur and you're like, I don't want to be working for someone the rest of my life, but it's like, yeah, but you learn skills and you're making money instead of just like, you know, dropping face and trying to start your business with, you know, like no money in the bank and getting fucked over, right? As an example. Yeah, and and another example is like, Somebody who says, you know, they want to, they want to start their own business, but then they get married when they're 23, right? And then they ha- they have a baby, right? It's like, okay, you will, you can still start the business, but it's just going to be significantly harder. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, so much more difficult. So then the hardest thing is in that moment when, you know, you feel like you know you love this person, you want to spend the rest of your, your life with this person. Are, are you strong enough to kind of put those plans on hold um, and then focus on what you really want to achieve in the next five to ten years rather than what feels good right now? Right. You know? Right. It's like, yeah, being disciplined and like having faith that things will kind of work out if you make these decisions. It's like, I'm, I'm really not worried that I'll end up in a bigger city. Like, I know I'm going to end up in Tokyo. I know I'm going to end up in like, something like a Bangkok, like some bigger city. I know that's going to happen because like, it's not in my personality to be complacent because of my driven nature. 
and I know I want to push the business forward. But I also know that from the past like few months and being stressed out with money, now that I'm starting to really, I'm actually starting to get ahead, I should like take advantage of that and you know just live a nice life where I'm not so stressed out and I can actually focus and do strategic thinking to take my business to 10K and, or wherever I want to take it. It's funny because, one, I think this uh, podcast is very anti-marriage. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I, we didn't say anything sim- specifically until right now, but... I know, I, I, I think the first podcast we did was we, we talked about the relationship thing. And then also when I spoke to Chili, when I talked about the dating, the dating podcast, that was mm-hmm. also pretty, pretty anti-marriage. But like this is one of the biggest arguments I have with people, and I think, I think Gary V also has that. Like he talks about that a lot. Is what do you want to achieve? You know, it's like you you say you want to achieve this, but then you're doing these things. So I mean, that's my only thing when it comes to like marriage and relationships and like the decisions that people make. It's like for me, it was like, what do I want to achieve? Do I want to start a business or do I want to travel um, and have a good time going to different countries, Southeast mm-hmm. Asia, mm-hmm. when I'm when I'm 22? That, that was like a crossroad that I had. It was like when I came to China, I was like, yeah, I partied, and I also wanted to travel more. But the reality is, I wanted to start a business more than that, so that's what I decided to focus on. Yeah. While I watched other people travel, mm-hmm. you know. And and it's yeah it's difficult but it's like what do you want to achieve? So I mean I I have that I had uh, I'll talk about this afterwards but like I have that argument with some of my my friends here and then I also have that argument with my with my employees. Hmm. I was gonna say uh, it's not Sean Ogle's quote but in uh, one of Sean Ogle's articles he brought up the point of like you can have everything you want but not all at once right? So if you list out all the things you want it's like I want Let's say you want to get married. Okay, so I want to get married. I want to have a Lamborghini. I want to have a business that's making 250K a year. I want to have like a ripped body, blah, blah, blah. It's like you can have everything, but you can't like have it all at once. It just doesn't work like that because things take a lot of focus and time. And you know, you can think of it like three pillars. If you're trying to build your body and build your business, those take a lot of work. It's going to be very difficult to, to like get a, like a, like a more long-term relationship. You can find like relationships and stuff. It's just, it's going to be difficult to manage all three at the same time. Um, And then it's like, if you want to buy a Lamborghini, that's going to set you back in your business. And it's going to like, you know, just add extra stress when you're trying to grow something. Right. So again, you can have everything. It's just not all at once. And you have to make, sometimes you have to make the harder choices and, and say what's worth it versus what's not. So the argument that people have with me when I talk about that, stuff is that I'm looking at things too analytically. That's that's the argument that I, I, I keep having people. So like my buddy was talking about um, how I compare um, having a business to like starting a business to starting a relationship and stuff like that. And then my my the two of my employees were saying, but oh you have to have balance. And I was like, but the reality is like you, you can't have balance from day one, like something has to be in balance. You have to focus on something first before you can create balance later. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, if you want to achieve this, then you, you can't have balance from day one. If you want to have balance from day one, then you're probably not going to achieve the things that you want to achieve 
quickly or fully. Yeah. You know? Or it's going to be half-assed. I mean, I've struggled with this again because, again, like, I'm starting to really feel like uh, dating and, like, having a relationship is more important to me. But I also realize that, let's say in the long term, what do I want to be spending my time with? I want to be spending my time more with, like, my friends and whoever my long-term partner is. Like, I'd rather spend my time doing that than working on my business. But it's like right now, you know, I have debt I have to pay. I'm, you know, building up this business that's starting to make a good amount of money and starting to support me. I build that up and then that leads to another business that creates like uh, 20, 30, 40K a month. Let's just say, for example. And that settles me for life. Guess what? It, it's going to be worth the sacrifice or quote-unquote sacrifice because it's like even now, it's not like I don't, hang out with my friends it's like i'm talking to you now i had dinner with someone on monday hung out with someone last night go on some dates it's not like i'm super imbalanced but it's like there are clear priorities of how much time i'm putting into stuff right it's just i think that's necessary you just have to do it yeah it's like people people need to start i think one of the things that's undervalued when it comes to business is like the uh Obviously, the amount of work that goes into it, but I think people need to start comparing starting a business to anything else in life that takes a high level of sacrifice. So, like, think about athletes, think about uh, movie stars, think about stand up comedians. Like, when you look at an athlete, you kind of see the end product. Like, when somebody goes into the NBA or somebody goes into the Premier League. All the football fans out there, like, oh my god, he knows the Premier League. Yeah, I know the Premier League, son. <laughs> um, so when you start playing, you know, soccer and a high level football, uh, when you start playing American football, whatever, it's like you're looking at this person who's 22 that's come into the league and now they're a star. They're making millions of dollars and they're playing on the highest stage and they're famous and you know they're hanging out with all these celebrities. They're going to cool parties. They're traveling around the world. But the reality is, man, like there's so much sacrifice that that person puts into the game from a very young age. Like the best basketball players, like they've been playing basketball since they were 10 years old, you know, and they focused on that. They, they spent hours and hours practicing. Um, they sacrificed going to parties. They sacrificed, you know, traveling with their friends and doing all the other stuff that people at that age normally do. And then they get to a stage where they're performing at a high level and now they're in the NBA and they're millionaires, you know. But people only see the end product. and They think it's, like, easy to get there. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with stand-up comedians. Like, I'm a huge fan of comedy and I'm a huge, like, student of comedy. I think that if I didn't get into business, there's two directions I would have gone in. It's like I wanted to play professional soccer when I was a kid. And then stand-up comedy was also one of my, my passions. But... Um, I ended up choosing business because that's, I think that was what I was best at. But like when I look at comedy, it's like the best comedians, even the ones that become famous very young, they were doing comedy when they were like 12 years old, 14 years old. Like Dave Chappelle started, like his first uh, time going to a comedy club was when he was 14. Mm -hmm. And then he blew up. And even then he didn't really blow up until he was like in his late 20s, early 30s. You know, like Bill Burr, who's one of my favorite comedians, he only really became huge in the last five years. He's like almost 50. Like mm -hmm. he became super successful at 45. You know, so there's like, 
20 plus years of him doing stand-up and crafting, uh, honing his craft and sacrificing a lot of things and being poor for a very long time, and, you know, struggling and getting rejected. Um, and then, then, then you get that success. So it's like when you're looking at these things, when you look at, you know, starting a business, it's like you need to be ready to make those sacrifices mm-hmm. and forget about balance at the beginning because it's not just not going to happen. Yeah, and I mean, uh, in MJ DeMarco's new book, Unscripted, he talks about like, like uh, the event versus the process principle. So most people see like someone who's really successful in business or has like an amazing girlfriend or uh, has an amazing body and they think they just, they jump to that. But they don't see the sacrifice and the struggle that they went in, which is the process. So with the business, it was like hours of, you know, learning, messing up, hiring employees, hiring the wrong employees, sales calls, all this stuff. And then they somehow figured it out. The body, they went to the gym, you know, every single day they were eating the right things, they were turning down ice cream, like all that stuff. In the dating, they were going through a lot of rejections, they learned about how to attract the right people, how to, to you know, turn away the wrong people. The, you know, the process to actually get to the point where they get the eventual quote-unquote goal or whatever the, the event is, right? Like nobody, nobody sees that and that's not what, you know, typical media and social media pushes. They just push like the, the event, but yeah, it just doesn't happen. And I think that's why if you're not willing to put up with a certain amount of pain or sacrifice, or as Taylor Pearson says, like count the cost of what you're willing to, to give up, like you, it's sometimes it's not worth even starting because you have to sacrifice a lot to, to get anything worthwhile. It's just how life works. Yep. Yeah, I mean, uh, another example is, is Gary Vee. Um, he, he has this YouTube video, I forget the name. It's called Overnight Success. So, you know, a lot of people see Gary Vee now and they're like, oh, this dude just blew up. He just blew up out of nowhere. But he was talking about Wine Library TV. When he started Wine Library TV, YouTube wasn't big. It wasn't like a, it was a popular platform, but it wasn't making people money. You know, um, people were just uploading videos for free, but it, the business side of it hadn't happened yet. So he he did something like, oof, he has the video and it has like a time lapse of all the videos that he did for Wine Library TV. He did something like 400 to 500 episodes before anybody knew him. You know, like he did like four to five hundred episodes before he got picked up with, like before he ended up on Ellen, the Ellen DeGeneres show and like Jimmy Kimmel and stuff like that. But like he was saying, man, like those videos were getting 5,000 views, mm. 10,000 views, 500, 1,000. But he just kept on doing episodes, kept on doing episodes, kept on doing episodes, sacrificing. His business, his wine business was actually... Um, was actually slowing down in growth because he wasn't focusing as much on building the the wine business because um, it was already like a it was already a multi million dollar company. But he saw the long term vision of being like if I really want to take my business or take my entrepreneurship to the next level, I'm going to have to sacrifice. Whether it means sacrificing this wine business, but building a influencers platform, and then I can take that and sell books and then start another company which became Vayner Vayner Media like things like that it's like people just don't see that they see the overnight success in the last five years Gary V's huge he's worth you know 200 million dollars and he has this company with 300 employees and a huge office in New York it's like no that there was work 
there's a lot of work that was put into that and most people aren't prepared to do that or they don't know that they have to do that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we i love that they- i love that video because i watch it from time to time I feel like I'm complaining about, you know, the amount of money that I'm making or when somebody else complains to me about how long something is taking to, to finish. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I send them that video. I'm like, dude, look at Gary Vee. Yeah. 500 videos. That's like, that's the thing. <laughs> I've just had more patience for the process because like I'm going in the right direction. I'm very happy with how I'm going because like I've started to see things starting to click, which is great. And then uh, I talked about this actually in one of my personal YouTube videos. Anytime I think about complaining because of like a client thing or whatever, I just think like, bro, I don't have cancer, knock on wood. And then I shut the fuck up. Because as long as you're able to actually live your life and, you know, struggle and do stuff, there's nothing to complain about. Because you're actually, you're living life and, you know, you're trying things. Like, I think that's like the best, you know, best gift you can have is to, be able to actually have experiences, live life and mess up and then, you know, succeed and, you know, go through ups and downs and see your progress in life. And as long as, again, you're moving in the right direction, like, that's the way to go. Yeah, as long as you're moving forward, whether it means um, you're going from, you know, four videos to ten videos and you're going from 100 views to 105 views on average, like, that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you can measure that progress, but... Thinking that it's gonna be something that you do for six months and then blows up is just is just not happening. Yeah, I made that mistake <laughs> when I started uh, friggin' you know, chasing the passive income dream. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe we should wrap this up. We're at like an hour and a half right now. Yeah, hit the ninety minute mark. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, we talked about like I guess a few different things. Like one was the systemizing and what you do. Second thing was, I guess, employees, management. Third, big cities, traveling, and process principle and where you're all going. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's building systems, you know, seeing the rewards from that, but just continuing to continue to hustle. And, yeah, and just see, putting in the work, you know, putting in the work. Putting, putting in the work and then, again, the, the enjoyment of the process. Like, I don't know, I'm really... I'm really liking where things are going, and like I always know there's more to do, but I'm like excited to to get into it and see where things go. Yeah, I mean, it's like like I said with the Zoho expense thing for me, it was like I remember when I did the when I did the quarterly presentation, um, and I, I, I revealed Zoho. Um, I saw my staff go like, "Oh wow, oh this is cool! Like we're gonna be doing that." And I'm like, "Yeah, we're gonna be doing that." And then we're implementing it the next week, and then I'm already looking at the next two to three things that we can connect to this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, so I'm, I I love that. Like I love seeing that, and I'm like I'm excited to see, you know, my staff learn how to use Zoho and and and, and see you know where we're gonna be by the next quarter. Um, you know, I'm excited to see what other things I can implement to systemize the business more. I'm excited to see my employees write SOPs and. And, you know, I told them, I was like, you guys are in a position right now where, you know, in six months to a year, I'm expecting all of you guys to be managing somebody. Hmm. You know, it's like like things like that, like that, that, that excites me and I'm enjoying that process and enjoying uh, developing the systems, enjoying my new role in the, in the business and learning that and figuring it out, you know, so can't, can't wait, can't wait. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, one of my favorite things about these these podcasts that we do is like, I get to rant. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like again, I I I never I underestimate how much like of deep conversation I need or like letting my thoughts air out because it really helps me think. And then like you're able to bounce stuff off me, so I always like appreciate these podcasts as well. Well, it's also a reflection, right? Like you know, when when me and you were doing our when we were doing our self improvement thing, I, I guess we still are. But when we were at the beginning. It was, it was that was one of the most important things. Is like the reflection of looking at what we've done in the last week and and, and seeing what we did before and then kind of taking lessons from that, and pushing it forward. Yeah, man, I have and, many fond memories, like from either our different places or the places you were living, or like uh, text conversations, or like I remember this one specific time. I don't remember why we did it, but it's like we had a steak dinner uh, by your place at the lake. I don't know if you remember this. I don't know why we did it, but we just decided to randomly do it one time. Was it, because um, there was a couple different places. There was like, I think it was called, there was like Harbor Steakhouse. It was across from my apartment when I was living at uh, 18 Harbor Road or whatever, you know, like was by, uh, by Union Station. Yeah, it might be. That sounds about right. And, but there was also like a bar downstairs from the condo where they also had very good steaks. So I'm not sure if it was. No, no, this was sure like, this was like, I think a steakhouse and they had like a nice kind of like, it was like a booth, like a round table sort of thing. It's probably the Harbor, yeah. Harbor Steakhouse or something. I don't remember the specific name, but yeah. So what were you going to say? Oh no, I was just, I was just reminiscing about those times. I was just saying, yeah, it was, it was cool. Like, kind of reflecting on the process or the progress but I honestly feel like there I was growing you know fast but I've again I've talked about this how there I think I was just doing a lot more analyzing and reading than action whereas here I feel like a lot of my stuff like I think still it's just kind of one of my defense mechanisms to uncomfort or discomfort is reading or thinking versus just doing but now i see like i'm just doing a lot more and i see like the results are happening so it's nice. well well we learned from that like for example um when we talk about zoho it's like so actually one of my employees asked me today how did you how did you find this this, this app and i was like uh i did like I, I was looking to systemize how i invoice clients so i googled invoicing apps i i read through about for about like an hour, I read through a bunch of reviews on three or four different apps. And then Zoho seemed to be the one that integrated well with Google, which is what we already use. So with Google Apps. So I tried it. You know, I tried it. I invoiced a couple clients. I liked it. And then I started using it. And it's really that simple. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's the, that's the difference between, I think, where I was that time period, where it's like I probably would have spent... That time period, I probably would have spent two weeks to a month reading about different invoicing apps before trying one. Mm-hmm. Whereas like now, I was like, I spent an hour. Mm-hmm. Then I tried it, and I was like, oh, it's the same thing with Zoho Expense. Was just like, I looked at, I looked at, I was looking at different Zoho apps, and I was like, okay, Zoho Expense. I tried it like for ten minutes, and I was like, oh, this is great. I'm already using Zoho Invoice, so let's let's implement. I told, I talked to. Um, I talked to Imogen, our project manager. I said, what do you think about this? She said, I think it's good. And I was like, I'm going to announce it at the next quarterly meeting. And then, you know, like a week later, we're, well, after the quarterly meeting, a week later, we're implementing it. So it's like, yeah, we're definitely more 
action based. It's less less uh, mental masturbation mm-hmm. and and more execution, which is uh, I we could talk about this for another hour. But like, yeah, that's part of the game. It's like not spending too much time, you know, thinking too much about how to start your business or what you should be doing in your business and actually doing it. Like Nick, I'm not sure if he talked about this at the the seminar that he, he did in, in Chiang Mai, but it's one of one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of these dudes make in entrepreneur and women as well is them sitting and saying, well, you know, so I want to start a company, but, you know, I'm thinking about um, taxes and should I register yeah, my company yeah. here? Man, I, I definitely <laughs> fucked up with that like uh, a year ago. I was like, oh, what about the LLC in this? And it's still in my head. And like, I realized when I get to that point, I'm just going to like, you know, I actually have friends who have done this before. I'm going to ask them. I'm just going to get it done in like one hour. That shit's like not important. Yeah, Nick said. Nick said, focus on making fucking money. Yeah, like, like you're, it not, you're not making like your any fucking money. LLC doesn't matter until you like have enough money. If you're making like zero dollars, who gives a fuck if you incorporate? You got nothing to protect. Yeah, it's like yeah, you've got nothing. Why are you focusing on where you're going to be filing? How are you going to be filing taxes when you don't even have one customer? Yeah. It's like, you know, even with my clients, my clients are a common question that I get is about IP. Like, oh, you know, if I send my designs to a factory, are they going to steal it? And I'm like, man, you, you, most factories don't care about your original design when you don't have a business. Like, they want to steal designs from Apple, mm-hmm. they don't want to steal designs from, you know, your new startup that isn't hasn't made any money yet mm-hmm. you know, like you're gonna be placing an order for 50 units and worried about designs like no one cares they don't care yeah you know? yeah um, I was gonna when we were talking about reflection um, my my fondest memories are with you were sitting in your in your condo you know reflecting and talking about life and philosophy and stuff like that. Um, me, me grabbing, uh, raiding your liquor liquor cabinet, talking <laughs> <laughs> till like four o'clock in the morning about you know uh, self improvement and things like that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's like Toronto was like it was like the the grind days, but it's like I have such fond memories, and it's, it's funny because uh, I have. Like I've said this before, but I have no regrets about going through uh, engineering because it's like what I thought I wanted to do. And then I was just like, eh, it's not really for me. But the fact that I chose to get a master's degree from the University of Toronto and like I met all you guys just like made the entire thing worth it. Like I wouldn't change that for for anything because it's, I think, out of everything in my life, that's probably like one of the most valuable things that I have is like you guys as friends and like those those memories of like all the stuff that we did and like everything we went through. Yeah, for sure, man. I think, yeah, I mean, if somebody asked, asked me what's the, what's the smallest thing I've done in my life, not necessarily in my business, but what's the smallest thing I've done in my life in terms of pushing my life forward to get to the stage, I'd say it would be meeting you guys. Because I mean that's that's like that's very invaluable. All the stuff that I've learned from each one of you guys and the ideas that we bounced off of each other and like you know like Rohan, like uh, you know, I have the bi-weekly calls with Rohan. 
Rohan's helped me set up systems in my business, let alone being my first client, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then maybe, you know, now with you, it's like working on uh, the email funnel and lead magnets and stuff like that. Like uh, Nick also being one of my clients and, you know, reminding me to like have fun and stuff like that. And Ryan as well, also bringing like levity to the group and then also seeing what Ryan's done in terms of leaving Toronto I feel like for me maybe my one of my value one of my the values that I brought was me being the first person to leave and, and come to come to Asia and then you know like Nick talk, talked about it in the podcast that we did is him coming down and seeing what I was doing sparked the idea of doing product business and then him doing more research and, and seeing stuff about drop shipping and Amazon FBA and then him choosing to do Amazon FBA because it made sense because I was in China and he could pick my brain about sourcing and, and finding factories. It's like just that it's just crazy like the the amount of knowledge we have in the group and experience and stuff that we can bounce bounce idea. And Maddie Boy, Maddie Boy with his social media marketing, like I'm constantly picking his brain about that, improving our social media. It's like it's it's just it's insane. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, good. Good times. Good memories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm just same thing. I remember saying this in Toronto in 2011. I think I was talking to Yogi at the time in our apartment, being like, "I wonder what our life is going to be like in three years." Mm-hmm. Now I'm saying, and then saying, "I wonder what my life is going to be like in two years after China." Now I'm wondering, what is our life? What are our lives going to be like? In, in 20, 30 years when we're in our 50s. Where will we be? What will we be doing? You know, what kind of conversations are we going to be having? Yeah. It's like how many how many of them will be will have to be redacted and they can't be, uh, you know, put into court filings, et cetera, and so forth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. Um, no, I, I, no I, I like to talk about this. Like, uh, I, yeah. The more I do this, the older I get, the less fucks I give. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's all good. But uh, yeah, I guess you want to wrap it up here? Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so uh, I guess you want to get in touch with me. You can check out uh, my consultancy, constantclientsystems.com, or uh, drop me a line, noam at constantclientsystems.com. All right, if you want to reach out to me, that's podcast at sourcefineasia.com. If you want to listen to our treasure trove of episodes, I think at this stage we have like 45 episodes. Um, maybe when this episode comes out, we'll be like 50 or 60. 50, 50 or 60, yeah. Um, yeah, it's com slash made in China. Also, I have something to say to any, any person that listened to previous episodes and applied for an internship. A piece of advice is if you're going to apply for an internship that you heard through a podcast, maybe you should listen to more episodes of the podcast so you know what my name is <laughs> before you submit your application. Because if you're sending me an email saying, Dear Source Financial Podcast, first of all, it's a Made in China podcast. 
And then second, it's like, man, like if you just listened to a few episodes, you would have known that my name is Rico and then you could have personally addressed that email to me. You know, so uh, I was a little bit disappointed with that. Like it seemed like the application was good. Like the, the guy that applied was qualified, but I just I looked at the the email that he sent me and I was like, this guy clearly just listened to like one episode, heard the internship ad, and then you know applied without doing any sort of research. So yeah, it's a little. I, uh, hopefully, this guy's listening. You know, you'll you'll realize the mistake that he made. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. All right. Guess we'll uh, end it here. Talk to you guys later.